Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. My life with my mother churned around me, her escaping with me in her arms to the roach-infested apartment, my five-year-old self in the dark car helping her smuggle the rugs out of Yugoslavia. This program features the work of 2014 writer Gigi Rosenberg. Curator Felicia Gonzalez spoke with her in an interview. Did you know from the start that you were writing a memoir, or did that surprise you? It's funny because I've always been attracted to the personal essay form. And so for years, all I really wanted to write about was true stories. And then all of a sudden, a few years ago, I thought, you know, I'm so sick of my family and these stories. I think I want to write fiction. And then this whole thing came down with my family and my mother and everything, terribly, terribly upsetting for me. And I thought, oh, my now is the time to write the memoir. And then in writing it, it made sense. It was almost like I needed this thing to happen in order for all the other essays and little pieces I'd written to make sense. Because I think there was a dark river running underneath my family that I sensed but was unaddressed. And when this thing happened, it showed me that there was a river and then I knew to go down to it. You know, families are so complicated, and there's so many different levels of kinds of stories. And the interesting thing is that I got down to in this memoir is that my family was very bohemian, and there was just lots of wanting things to look very open and to look very generous. But really, beneath that were strict rules that you would find in a totalitarian regime, but that was never talked about. So uh, I, I do feel, and I'm sure this happens in all families, that certain stories by certain storytellers in the family system get silenced. And those are the stories I really want to hear, the ones that, you know, people have tried to shut down. Now we'll hear a selection from Gigi's live reading. So I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from the memoir, How I Lost My Inheritance. Eggs. I ran down Henry Street as fast as my five-year-old legs could carry me, alone on my favorite errand. When I reached the corner, I dodged the teetering men, their eyelids half shut, bodies swaying, like they were listening to faraway music. The dollar bill my mother had tucked in an envelope held tight in my fist. I ran as fast as I could, feeling power in my swiftness. The faster, the safer. I knew that. I turned right on Montgomery, and a few stores up was a mom-and-pop store just before East Broadway. I burst into the grocery store, and Mrs. Lesser, who owned the store with her husband, stood by the door holding a dozen eggs. Hi, Gigi, here are your eggs, she said, handing me the carton. How does she already know I want eggs, I wondered. Mr. Lesser, stationed behind the register, rang up my purchase and counted the 45 cents into an envelope. Clutching the eggs and my change, I retraced my steps, racing around the men on the corner back to our apartment at the Henry Street Settlement House. My mother never said, don't talk to strangers or watch out for those bad men on the corner. Years later, I reminded my mother about this errand. I can't believe you let me go all alone. I was only five years old. 
alone. As soon as you left the apartment, I ran to the phone and called Mrs. Lesser and told her, Gigi's coming to buy eggs. Then I climbed onto the fire escape where I could see you run to the corner. Mrs. Lesser stood watch from the store. No wonder the Lessers acted as if they were expecting me. As soon as you left the store, Mrs. Lesser called me, and I climbed back on the fire escape to wait for you to round the corner, my mother said. On the corner was a dirty candy store where the drug addicts used to hang out. When you asked why you couldn't go to the store yourself, I put the money in the envelope and let you go because I didn't want you to grow up to be afraid of anything. Hmm. Chapter 1, Will and Trust. The email arrived on a Sunday night, six weeks after my mother died. We had already scattered her ashes on the Oregon coast, along with those of my stepfather and their Labrador retriever, Emma. We had already held her memorial, attended by 200 people on the sunny, grassy expanse of a neighbor's house in full view of what had been their bohemian complex in southern Oregon's Applegate Valley. My younger sister had been promising to email me the details of my mother's will for weeks, but the email never came. She was the executor, having been the one who lived nearest my mother and stepfather Marvin. It made sense. She had signed the papers hastily a few years ago, before my mother and stepfather had taken off on another whirlwind trip to Israel or China or Colombia, just in case. That Sunday night, as I was getting ready for bed, I clicked on her email, subject line, will and trust info, and I read in her cool tone, I have been left as the trustee for Mom and Marvin's trust. Then, like she was delivering the most inconsequential news, she outlined my mother's wishes. My mother had left her home in Ashland, Oregon, to my sister and my brother, a house in the Selwood neighborhood of Portland she left to my brother. There was no mention of me, my mother's oldest child, in my sister's outline of my mother's will. I was stunned. The only sentence in the email in which my name was mentioned was this one. Gigi, do you want any of mom's clothes? My sister concluded that she hoped this all makes sense, added, this is hard for all of us, and please let me know if you have any questions. <laughs> then signed off, XOXO, Claudia. A minute later, I called her. I think there's a typo in your email, I said. No, there isn't a typo, she said, sounding like a stranger. My heart pounded so hard, my hand shook with each beat. Mom never told me that she was leaving you and Dan the Ashland house, I said. She told me she did. She sounded further away. I didn't know, I said. It was Mom's decision, she said, her words still flat. But I think Mom did it because, and she started listing possible reasons. Mom never told me, I said, cutting her off. I really can't talk anymore, she said. I have to get up early tomorrow. OK, what else was there to say? Talk to you soon, I said. I hung up. I saw my life in still images spinning like frames from an animated movie, the kind we'd made as kids. I was falling through those 53 years with my mother. Now those years look completely different. The color and meaning in each scene transformed before me. How could she have never told me that I'd been, in effect, disinherited? For what reason? How could my brother and sister accept this without comment? It felt 
like a giant wave, like the swells I feared on the Lacanth hollow beach of my childhood crashed over me and sucked me under. I couldn't tell up from down. Every falsehood became true, every truth a lie. My life with my mother churned around me, her escaping with me in her arms to the roach-infested apartment. My five-year-old self in the dark car helping her smuggle the rugs out of Yugoslavia. My promise to never tell about my secret father. I thought all the secrets had been told and the closeness she and I found at the end had been real. Now I lost my bearings. The entire contents of my life with her washed up and spilled around me, torn or broken. Nothing made sense. When I received a copy of my mother's will in the mail, the news was even worse than what my sister had outlined in the email. After growing up in this family as the oldest of three, those years of working on my mother's art projects and being forced to pitch in on her many house renovations and babysitting my siblings for most of my childhood, that's what it came down to? It wasn't about the money, but how was this fair? And to not have told me and my brother and sister who I'd just been embracing on my mother's deathbed, not saying anything? Was I crazy? Were they? What about the weeks leading up to my mother's death, when I gathered with my siblings and their spouses and we took turns taking care of her? What had happened to our childhoods together? What had happened to any of that? On the one hand, why should I complain? But why didn't my mother tell me of her plans? Why had my mother been such a coward? Growing up, she taught me to tell the truth, even if nobody agreed. Stand your ground, I learned from her and her stories of my rabble-rousing, union-organizing grandparents. That night of the email from my sister, I couldn't sleep. I cried on and off through the night. I lay in bed, my whole body bruised like I'd been hit. My mind ran the phone conversation with my sister over and over again. Before I had cut her off, she had started to list the reasons my mother had made the decision. I think she did it because you have a father, she'd said. Mom thought you might get something from him. I didn't like that phrase, get something, as if we were playing inheritance bingo. <laughs> I didn't mention how unlikely I was to receive an inheritance from my starving artist father. And this wasn't about getting or not getting something from a man who, until now, nobody wanted to talk about. And come on, my mother hadn't spoken to my father for more than two minutes in 50 years. The idea that she might know anything about his financial life was laughable. But wait, what had my sister just said? It had taken until now for her words to sink in. This was the first time that anyone in my family had ever uttered the words, you have a father. Yes, I have a father who we all pretended did not exist, who my mother wanted to be rid of. It was too late to say any of this. My mother, my accomplice, was dead. Her ashes now floated off the Oregon coast. It was too late to ask why, after all those years of keeping me in and my father out, she had excluded me too. I had done everything she wanted. I had visited my father. I had kept him secret. I had never crossed over. Or had I? Erasing my father would have been erasing myself too. Thank you.
Sound Pages is a Jack Straw production. The 2014 curator of this program is Felicia Gonzalez. This episode of Sound Pages was produced by Mo Proventure. Recording engineers are CJ Lazenby, Tom Stiles, Mo Proventure, and Steve DeTori. Narrator is Jin Hammond. And executive director of Jack Straw Cultural Center is Joan Rabinowitz. Theme music by two trios with Victor Noriega, Jeff Johnson, and Greg Campbell, produced through the Jack Straw Artist Support Program. The Jack Straw Writers Program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, For Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, the Paul G. Allen Family Foundation, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. All of the writers heard in the series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology, available for purchase and featured online at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.